Weekend Retronauts, a journey into anal retention. Welcome to Retronauts, your official podcast for old things. Actually, are we official? Have we ever really like petitioned for official status? Do we need to fight like uh, retrogaming.tv or whatever? Are you retroware? Retroware, sorry, man. Maybe. I'm slandering know. our competition by like by... we could uh, we could do the the whole like battle with the Gorn in the pit of death. The dun, 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 dun. I'd be afraid that other people are working much harder than us. So <laughs> I'm gonna bow out of this contest. That wouldn't be good. Anyway, um, I think my name is Jeremy Parrish. I don't think I mentioned that before. And I'm hosting this episode. And with us here in the studio, well, there's Bob over there. You know that guy. Hi, everybody. It's me. But we've also brought in a returning guest, our good friend, uh, Dr. Sparkle. Yep, I'm back, I guess, for the third episode, I think. Oh, that's right. You because did we the did that, the prog rock. rock. And, and that's right. The most, the most divisive episode of Retronauts <laughs> in history. Now, in this case, since there will be no prog rock mentioned whatsoever, I'm sure the fans will have no reason to complain. Oh, don't worry. I always throw in a reference or two. I, I, I want to point we'll, out that... We'll find an excuse. I want to point out we know Dr. Sparkle's true name, and because of that, he has to grant us a wish. <laughs> <laughs> we did summon him with the pentagram. Uh, so I want stadium, stadium events uh, in its packaging originally and uh, untouched mint condition. You know, that, that thing just sold for, like a, I think, a lot less money than people thought it was going to. Oh, the really? Game. Okay. Because yeah, it was like up to like 100000 probably Wasn't that just bids. like a, yeah, I was going to say troll bids. But, I mean, in the past, boxes of that in that same condition have sold for more money than it sold. I think it was like 30000 or something. Gosh. Boy, I sure would hate to sell a video game for $30,000. <laughs> I would settle poor, for anything less than fifty. Those poor bastards. So, anyway... Uh, we have summoned Dr. Sparkle here into the studio with us for the very specific episode that touches on his expertise. Dr. Sparkle, of course, is the host of well, the sole creator and proprietor of Crontendo, the well-loved uh, Nintendo history video feature. Well-loved by whom? By the internet. Have you not seen the forum threads praising your name to the heavens? They say, they say I'm a freak. They don't like the way you say Tose, which is understandable. Oh, but. well, at this point, I just do it just. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, people love your show. It's, uh, it's, it's great. It's been an inspiration to a lot of people, including myself. Um, and this is a, another of our Kickstarter backer requests. We're still kind of clearing the channel of those. Just a couple left now. This one comes from backer Sean Clements. Or Clements. Um, and he wants us to talk about cron gaming, not just Crontendo, but gaming in in a uh, gaming through a console's library in chronological order. I, I would say Crontendo is definitely the best known of uh, of this phenomenon, but it's uh, something that's certainly spread. And I know you, in turn, were influenced by what what did get you your start? Actually, why don't we why don't we start from the beginning here? First, tell us what Crontendo is. What madness besieged you? Well, Crontendo is generally speaking, a, a very bad idea. But what, what involves is simply playing... <laughs> but most fun things are. Well, that's true, yes. But, but what it actually involves is simply playing through or playing briefly every single game in the Nintendo Entertainment System and Famicom Library in chronological order of their original release. 
Right. And I think that's the important distinction to make is that it's NES and Famicom. So it's American and Japanese releases. And you're playing uh, based on the order in which they were originally released in any territory. So if a game was released in Japan first, you go with the Japanese date. If it was released in the U.S. or the U.K. first, in very rare instances, then you play it according to that date. Yeah, as far as I can figure out. I mean, Nintendo, for whatever reason, there are no specific release dates for most U.S. NES games. And again, with like European NES games, it's pretty much anybody's guess as to when some of those things actually came out. Yeah, it's usually like, it came out in this year. But for some reason, with the Japanese titles, I mean, somehow someone kept track of the exact date and the original sticker price of every single one of those. Mm. Yeah, in a lot of cases, the original date is, maybe not with games always, but definitely with CDs, the original release date is actually printed on the label sometimes. Hmm. Um, But Japan has just been really precise about release dates uh, with with pretty much everything that I can tell. But I think, you know, it helps that the distribution system there was very uh, compact. I mean, it's like you send stuff to Tokyo, Kyoto, and then, you know, whatever is left over, you send to the outlying provinces of, uh, you know, like the remaining 10% of the country's population. Um, America, of course, has a much different distribution system. And in the in the 80s, particularly in the early 90s, video games were still kind of regarded as toys. And I don't think you had a lot of official release dates. I think, you know, Mortal Monday uh, was kind of like where you started or to see Sonic, that. Sonic Tuesday. Oh, so, yeah, I so think, it was all about Sega. I think that was touted as the first worldwide launch of a single game, <clears throat> at least according to the Sega people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, because the country does have a much broader distribution system and things were being shipped out as toys, not as electronics with, uh, you know, with, with street dates on them, I think, you know, record keeping is basically just like this was the month that it was distributed and it would kind of pop up at stores anytime. And that was, that was certainly the case in my experience when I was looking for video games, NES games at the time, was that you knew kind of when they were going to come out, but it was basically like, I had an aunt who worked at a best products in the warehouse. So she was my, she was my inside connection. (laughs) Like she would get stuff fresh off the truck for me and then give me the the employee discount. So it was awesome. But best didn't really receive stuff as quickly necessarily as say toys R us because it was, you know, a bigger department store. So they didn't prioritize necessarily the toys and electronics. It was just, you know, like stuff would come when it came. So her shipments were always a little later than Toys R Us got things, or KB Toys. So those were where you went to get the like the, the hot releases, the moment that they came out. That was sort of like your equivalent of the of the uncle who worked at Nintendo. Yes, but it was the aunt who worked at Best. It's not quite as uh, fantastic a story, but it definitely <laughs> saved me a lot of money through the years. I would call that collusion. Yes. <laughs> in yeah, a good I mean, way. I, I mentioned in the uh, Super Mario World episode, which may or may not have been released by the time this comes out, that um, the first thing I bought with my first paycheck from my first job, uh, the first check I ever wrote, in fact, was uh, a Super NES. Um, my first summer job, I should say. Uh, that was actually something she picked up for me, and it was like 40% off because of her various employee discounts. So that was, that was great. I'd forgotten about that little detail, but yes. Uh, anyway, so that's kind of a, a sidebar to the, the sort of uh, specific data searching and um, you know, in the past year, I started doing the same thing with Game Boy because it's kind of a forgotten corner of video games, and I found the exact same experience. Like, 
Japanese launch dates, it's day and date specific. With American dates, it's month usually. And with European dates, it's just like sometime that year. No one really knows. Exactly. And Nintendo had an official release of all the American official uh, US NES titles, not counting stuff from uh, Tengen. And basically, they give a month and a year as the official release date. But again, who knows when those things were actually in the stores. So how do you solve that problem? Um, well, basically, I just sort of tend to lump one month's worth of, of any of American games into like a little, a little chunk, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, stick them in somewhere in that month in terms of the Japanese games. I figured one month is, is close enough. You know? Right. Yeah, I just put it on the 15th of each month, usually. Right. Like, in the middle. So that's the closest you can be to being accurate without knowing. Exactly. Well, you do now. You do one game per episode. Yeah, yeah. We can we can talk more about that. But. Whereas I do fifteen, so I sort of have to like. <laughs> I, I kind of want to sort of like stick like five in one. Episode. Oh, I didn't realize it was fifteen per episode. Is that your hard and fast rule? Oh yes. Okay. I've actually never violated. Them. Oh. You know, that's why some episodes are short and some are long. Okay, I've seen them all multiple times. I never, I never picked up on that fact. Wow. Weird. I'm a bad viewer. I'm <laughs> a bad fan. Or just not particularly into math. I hate math. There you go. I'm against it. Even even counting. Yeah. Um, I picked the, the buy game approach uh, after watching sort of the, the toll that doing big lumps has taken on your sanity. The psychological toll. It's, yes. uh, I mean, you, you can tell just by watching. Like you'll, you'll come into sections where it's just like this slog of terrible games, and you're like, oh, God. And, and you two might not know this by looking, but I'm actually 25 years old. <laughs> I mean, honestly... Video games have ruined my life. <laughs> it all started when I started Crondendo. That's when I, I went downhill. But, um, yeah, so I think the whole... You want to talk about where the whole chrono gaming concept actually started? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So here, here's as far as I can tell the, the history of chrono gaming. Um, back in 2005... There was this guy on the Atari Age forums mm. who, um, I, for some reason, went on eBay and, and bought a uh, uh, Odyssey, mm-hmm. and he apparently got the idea to simply play through every video, every console video game released in chronological order because he was, you know, buying the games off eBay. And I guess he figured, why not do something with this ridiculous money you're spending on these horrible old games? And the Odyssey, as you might recall, was the system where you had, like, the plastic overlay that went onto your TV screen. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. There were no, like, the graphics were just dots. You control dots, and you put, like, like a maze or something on, on top of the TV screen. So that would sort of create the game. And he started doing these, these blog posts on the Atari Age forums, um, and he under the name Chrono Gamer. And apparently Chrono Gaming was just sort of a word that he came up with. Oh, so it's chrono gaming, not chrono. We were we were pitched the episode topic as chron gaming. I apologize. Well, for... I mean, yeah, I mean, he called himself chrono gamer, um, and I call it chrono gaming. But well, it's not chrono tendo; it's chron tendo. Well, you know, chrono tendo is chrono tendo would sound a little silly. <laughs> <laughs> that O makes all the difference. Yeah, it does. Right, right. 
So, um, yeah, and he actually did a post on that, I mean, almost every day for a couple years. Um, he got through the Odyssey, the Fairchild, a good chunk of the, the 2600. Then he just kind of, I guess, burnt out. And, no. <laughs> and, and, How would that happen? And one thing he did was, I mean, he would, these would be like little write-ups, you know, in the forums. But occasionally he would create like a very short video, just kind of saying, I know this is kind of hard to describe what this game looks like, so I created this you know, 20 second clip of me playing it, you know, filmed with like a, a camera pointed towards the TV set. And to me, that seemed like a very helpful idea to sort of you know, visualize what a game actually looks like. Um, sometime in the middle of 2005, another guy, there was a, uh, an online gaming magazine called uh, Retro, Retro Times Monthly, Retro Gaming Times Monthly. Hmm. It, it actually hasn't, uh, done anything in, in a few months, I think, but there was one guy called Scott Jacoby who sort of started doing a monthly column called NES Domain, I think, hmm. and he was basically just playing the Nintendo games, Japanese and American, in chronological order, and writing about like five of them. Hmm. So those were the first two people who sort of came up with a concept, and that, of course, is where I heard about it. Oh, wow. For some reason, I'm I'm thinking that like Hardcore Gaming 101 started as a attempt to write up every NES game. Am I no remembering Hardcore this? Gaming 101 mm. um, actually evolved from the what was it called Classic Game Preservation Society, okay. or something like that. And it was a uh, it was really um, like a bunch of reviews that Kurt Collada did. Kurt Collada did of old games, Genesis, NES, Super NES. Um, and he would, you know, like give them scores mm, based okay. on graphics and sound, and there were like these funny little bars at the bottom. And then um, that kind of turned into, I guess, a collection of uh, bigger things, and then that turned into more like a, you know, here's the lowdown okay. on every system you can imagine under the sun that maybe people don't write about very often. I wasn't sure if he was trying to be comprehensive with that or not. I don't think so. <laughs> I think they they focus mostly on largely on stuff that's not as common or popular so have you you might have noticed there's no like mario yeah. article there which is kind of a weird oversight you think <laughs> that like you know that's kind of a basic thing but i think they want to focus on stuff that's less popular yeah, there's tons that of that was the original concept but i think now they're sort of running out of obscure games so now they're doing like mega man and stuff like that or you know slightly more more well-known stuff right so Basically, the Chrono Gamer guy, you know, did it for a while. Eventually, burnt out. Um, Scotch Kobe did it for a while. Moved on to something else. There was another blog that did maybe for a few months, kind of did the same thing. Again, just little write-ups. And people will somehow, you know, where these guys failed, <laughs> I, I will somehow succeed. Don't know why I thought that, but well, you've gotten pretty far. Yeah. Are you? you have, the Famicom launched in 1983, July 1983, and you're up to 89. I'm working on uh, October 89 right now. Yeah, wow. So that's more than six years worth of video games. And the Famicom did not have a small library. It was 1,440-something games, and then whatever else was released specifically for the NES in the West and not, not in Japan. Yeah, I think it's close to 1,900, 1,800 games altogether. Um, mm. I think I've done, what, 750 games so far? Close to halfway through, I suppose. It's a lot of games. That's, that's too, games. too many. <laughs> and at least half of those are just complete and utter crap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the especially the early 
uh, Famicom days. It was uh, it was the Wild West. We we we've t- we talked about that in a previous episode in this recording session, but that was that was a period where a lot of people were like trying to figure out how video games worked and what they should be and how do you program for a video game system. Well, that's true, but in the early days of the Famicom, I think a lot of the publishers actually were video game companies putting these things out. Nintendo put a lot of stuff out. They got people like Konami coming in pretty early, Capcom. After a couple of years, other companies started coming in, like Pony Canyon, the record company, uh, Mm -hmm. book publishing companies, and and they were in it purely for the money. And, you know, guys like Bandai, and and some of those games that were made were, were just, you know, so terrible because they only existed just to get a product on the shelf and hopefully make a little bit of money. They really had no no stakes in making a good game the way, say, Konami would. Yeah, how many of those were uh, contracted out to just uh, random development houses, too? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, you know, guys like Pony Candy did not have a video game development department. Yeah, so that's where Tosei comes in. (laughs) Exactly. So um, Capcom uh, brought in Micronics, which is an even worse developer Uh, than Tosei. That was just, like, one guy. (laughs) (laughs) Jim Micronics. It it, it seems that way sometimes. And they did, like, 1941 uh, or... Two. 42 Ghosts and Goblins. Yeah, actually, um, that, that's kind of an interesting little footnote in Capcom's history is, is the point at which they started taking console development seriously, which I think was um, around the time of Section Z. Uh, instead of having, you know, Micronics or some other middleware, you know, outsourced developer create a crappy version of their arcade games like they did for Commando in uh, 1942, they were like, maybe we should just bring this in-house and, and make it ourselves. And they started to reinvent their games and, you know, really began to master the ins and outs of the NES so that within a few years, they were making some of the best games on the system. Mm-hmm. And that, that is kind of the, that, that's, that's part of the appeal of this cron gaming concept is looking back and really seeing how games evolve, not just on a platform, but within a specific company or what the, the discipline and the philosophy behind the development of the games is. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's, I think probably in uh, Capcom's early days, they weren't really sure how the whole Famicom thing was going to pan out. I mean, would there be a lot of money in it for them? Was it worth their time? So I would assume they didn't want to devote a lot of resources into you know, using their own internal people to, to kick out these, these quick ports. Well, I, I don't think Capcom even had an internal department for a while. They, they started in 1983. Like, that was when the company was established, uh, making arcade games. So initially, for those first couple of years, I, I think that their home conversions had to be outsourced because oh, yeah. they didn't have the development so. talent. And um, at last year at GDC, I hosted a Keiji Inafune panel, and he was talking about how when you know they, they started doing their own console development, like the console team was kind of separate from the rest of the company and sort of like uh, the redheaded stepchildren. And they, <laughs> they weren't really kind of you know part of the inner circle at that point. So it, it was it was something that the company kind of brought in and was like, oh, but then it became the red butter. Back to sort of the history of Chrono Gaming, I started doing Crontendo in, I believe, September 2007. So I guess about two years after a couple other folks had done it. And 
I think Crontendo was sort of discovered by the internet at large around 2009. Or yeah, the, the first mention I heard of it was around then, and that was Frank Cifaldi. Mm-hmm. Um, That's how I found out about it, He was a it big too. cheerleader of it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, there was a little website called OMG Nintendo that was one of the very first people to mention it, sort of, you know, people were, were watching the episodes and you know, making comments, but it was like, maybe like 100 views per, per episode or something. Um, Tiny Cartridge was another early one. Basically, it went from being something that pretty much only a handful of, few of, pe- a handful of people were looking at, but once uh, like OMG Nintendo and Tiny Cartridge and a few other people started talking about it, that's when suddenly people started coming into the site and looking at it. And your videos weren't always on YouTube, right? They, they, originally, they, they weren't. Because, oh, okay. Um, the length requirement, right? right? I mean, when I started it, I mean, I, that was one of the concerns was I wanted to do it in video form. I didn't want to do seven seven minute videos. I think was like the length of YouTube back then, and then they looked like fifteen. Right. And yeah. Like a few years ago, they finally knocked it up to like infinity, or whatever. <laughs> but um, which unfortunately ended up with stuff like what, like the like the ten hour looping. Of, yeah, of an annoying song or like a sound effect. Yeah, people take advantage of that. But yeah, I mean, obviously, seven minutes or eight minutes, whatever it was, wasn't really going to be an option. So I went to um, archive.org, mm-hmm. which had no length um, mm-hmm. limits at all. And would host pretty much anything, you know, based on the content that I saw there. So did you have a specific methodology in mind when you first started, besides 15 uh, games per episode in chronological order? Well, I was thinking... I would have each episode be like about 45 minutes, which is what they originally were when I was doing games like Donkey Kong or yeah. Mario Brothers or something. You know, 45 minutes seems like it's long enough. People can actually watch it. Um, of course, unfortunately, I mean, since then, well, I don't know, people like long episodes, but I've had them stretch out like, like an hour and 45 minutes. Um, thereabouts, the one with the, uh, the Nintendo RPG Mother mm-hmm. was, I think, one of the longest ones. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was going to mention that one. The episode <laughs> Fantasy Star 2 was, uh, again, incredibly long. But yeah, the whole idea was, you know, 45 minutes or so, people could watch that, but yet it wasn't like, that way I would put out one like every three weeks or once a, once a month or something like that. For a steady, steady flow of content, which hasn't always worked out recently. <laughs> but I, I, I forgive you. Originally, I mean, those things were coming out pretty darn quick. Yeah, they were. And I think people underestimate the amount of work that goes into producing something like this. That's certainly been my discovery. I mean, doing, doing Game Boy World has been a learning experience for me because I basically have trained myself up from zero on doing video production, which is good. Um, but, you know, like the process of recording footage and then editing it and then I don't know if you write a script or if you just kind of improvise uh, but for me, I write a script and then record it and then edit it down, and then I have to put the video to it. Like, even for, you know, a short Game Boy video that's like five to seven minutes long, that's hours and hours of work. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a lot of work, and video editing takes a lot of time. I guess you don't necessarily notice the edits when you're watching it. Just like you don't always, when watching a movie, think how long it took the editor to put that thing together. But, you know, an hour and 50-minute video has zillions I can see the timeline now. Just like yeah. top, 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 top. Exactly. I posted a couple pictures of like the... Uh, the oh, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it looks like just, you know... Yeah, you, you pretty much stick to video game footage, though. 
just showing off the games. Right. You, you don't pull in. I mean, occasionally I've you'll seen like a few. pull in some some media, but yeah, if there's like it's based on like a cartoon or something or a comic book, I'll try to like show a few images of that. Um, of course, that seems to be getting you and people in more and more trouble nowadays. On YouTube. yeah, I was going to ask about that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, have you gotten any like strikes against your account or anything like that in terms of using footage, not no. just from games? I get content ID acknowledgements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but the thing is, I mean, Nintendo is is not commercial, so it's right. you know they're not really going to do anything. Right. Yeah. But, if you if you don't monetize your channel or your specific videos, then they don't really care. They just say like you know whoever owns the original content here has the right to put ads on your video if they want. Right. They, there, there are no strikes. That's only if you take money from YouTube. So there is one episode that cannot be viewed in Japan. Ooh, because, um, <laughs> too hot for Japan. <laughs> as many things are, but just it was again. It was like ten seconds of some some anime footage that was in there. Oh wow! Um, and you can still see it. It's not blocked in the U.S. or any other country. Just apparently, just Japan. Which which anime was that? I honestly don't recall. <laughs> um, it was it. It didn't happen until like. Years after I posted the episode, yeah, like the, the content ID strikes or you know notices that I've gotten have been really kind of hit or miss. Like uh, I've I've included footage of Hollywood movies and I don't get anything, but then uh, I put some footage of a fan sub of Fist of the North Star in my Fist of the North Star Ten Big Brawls for King of the Universe <laughs> episode, and uh, I got a content ID notification not from like the original owners of you know. Uh, whoever is or whoever owns Mr. Northstar, but whoever did the band sub, like somehow Weird. they're claiming copyright on, on uh, Mr. of the Northstar videos that they dubbed, which is interesting. I thought it was Disney. Like we probably own this. We don't want to look into <laughs> it, but it's probably ours. Uh, uh, I think we own this. Weirdly enough, like back in the wild west days of YouTube, back when nothing, no one cared about anything, there were no commercials. Like I put a song by the cars in a video, like a funny video I made and I left it up and like, for years, I would get constant emails like, you're in trouble. Now you're not in trouble. Now you're in big trouble. Now you better take this. It just like, I don't care. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> like, I just like, I felt like much ado about nothing for this video that I uploaded eight years ago or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I think content ID has everyone kind of confused and baffled as to why certain things get singled out and why also there's a lot of like sort of false hits as well. Actually, put up footage. Um, it's like a super short video of like a like a modern game. I think it was Fear or something like that. And I got a content ID on a sound effect, which was like footsteps. Weird. And it okay. was like from some completely obscure um, music company, and they even put like a song title, which I could not find anything about on the internet. It was it was strange. I wonder if they just like go in and, and get bully libraries and say, "Yeah, we we own the rights to this." Um, I think most of the content ID is based on audio, actually. Yeah. yeah. I think they have, you know, the algorithms that can compare sound effects and music and so forth, and that's what they go for. It's not the video stuff. Maybe the video is, is forthcoming, but I think audio is easier to do. Uh, and I think maybe the reason I haven't gotten a lot of uh, copyright notices on my stuff is because uh, I generally, for like Hollywood videos or something, turn the, the audio way down mm-hmm. for most of it and talk over it, so... You don't even necessarily see anything. Like I put some Top Gun footage in, in the uh, Malibu Beach volleyball game. It's kind of like a, hey, I wonder if this is why volleyball games suddenly became very popular for a little. All while. right, <laughs> uh, but I didn't actually have the audio of, of Top Gun in there. I probably would have gotten a notice if I had done. That's like if you watch The Simpsons on YouTube, you can watch it, but it's going to be the film negative flipped backwards in German in a smaller window, like while another episode is playing behind it. It's just like <laughs> we've done everything we can to fool YouTube. <laughs> 
for you to watch the free Simpsons. <laughs> I like those costly which, Simpsons. Which is what the Simpsons are worth nowadays, I Ooh. Wow. Take that, Simpsons Shots fans. Fired. Are there any more actual, honest-to-God Simpsons fans? Uh, there, there has to be a few. I mean, but... For, for the, the, modern, the modern shows. I'm sure there are kids that grew up with it while it was bad and they don't know that it was good. Um, so like the animation of those old episodes is stupid. That episode must be stupid. Yeah. Let's, let's ask a child. The next child we see <laughs> kids react to old Simpsons. <laughs> Probably already been done. Probably. Yeah. But have they reacted while eating a chili pepper? We're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm taking you to task chili pepper gaming or whatever. whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen That's it. a real thing. Oh boy. Yeah. What? It, Playing a game while eating like a ghost uh, it's like review a game while eating a pepper, whatever. It's it's harmless, but it's just like it's our gimmick, you know, whatever. Play a game while doing the ice bucket challenge. Yeah, exactly. Watch in two years, we'll be eating we'll be eating chili peppers, dumping ice buckets on our head while we're talking. I'm hot inside and cold out. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Where were we? We were talking about stuff. YouTube strikes. Yes, right. YouTube. Well, before that. It was Process. Kind of side, it was kind of a sidetrack. Well, eventually, of course, YouTube you know, sort of broke their 15-minute limit, and I started putting stuff up on YouTube as well. But not all the old episodes, which causes people to constantly ask me, you know, where are the old episodes? Um, no matter how many times I say they're on archive, eventually, of course, I'll upload them. But now each episode goes up on archive and up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I consider the archive ones to be sort of like the the, the correct peer. <laughs> because, of course, YouTube does all kinds of crazy processing to them and right. rendering, whereas you can technically just download the original file that I put up from archive, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I should start put, post, wait, maybe I should start posting my stuff on archive. I've, I've just been using YouTube, and it does introduce a lot of degradation, which is mm-hmm. kind of stupid because my learning process has included, like, working with better equipment because I really wanted to capture Game Boy games from the original cartridge, even though emulation of Game Boy is, is pretty solid. Uh, Game Boy Color is a little flaky sometimes still. But um, I just wanted to work with like, the original cartridges on as close to authentic hardware as I could. So uh, I started with like a portable Super Famicom clone running a Super Game Boy, um, which was pretty good. Like I was impressed with myself that I managed to kind of uh, put together this this contraption uh, that actually worked, but um, I noticed right away with with Super Mario Land that um, as it was scrolling to the side, there was like this really terrible graphic mm. uh, flaw at the top, mm. and it, it wasn't anything to do with the game itself or even the emulation, but just the fact that the device I was using was only outputting through composite video, which is terrible. Um, but it, it seemed okay, but then once you introduced that and then put the YouTube compression on it, uh, like my source video looked okay, but then the uh, the YouTube version was just like distractingly garish. If you go back, I, I haven't fixed it yet, so uh, that video is kind of hard to watch because of the, the graphical distortion. And um, a guy who works with Twitch who has been, you know, kind of following the, the video project was like, 
hey, um, you know, I have some better video equipment. I'd be happy to donate it to the cause, which was very nice of him. Wow. wow. Um, so I went and tracked down a, an RGB modded Super NES, and then he provided a, uh, an upscaler, uh, an XRGB mini uh, frame meister. It was very, very generous of him, and I'm, I'm deeply appreciative for it. Uh, but I, just the, the difference in quality between the video output and the audio output, I did a, just a, like a sample comparison as a quick little video people can watch and like the music is better hmm. the, the video is better it's just cleaner but you know going onto youtube there is a lot of compression introduced so um still doesn't look as good as it should so i, I should probably look probably look into the archive.org thing I, I do want to ask dr sparkle like how do you record how do you capture footage like what do, what do you source it from um, everything is done basically just using an emulator okay a lot of the earlier people who were doing it were actually some some chrono gamers actually get the hardware in the games. Obviously, there's no way I'm even going to consider <laughs> trying to track... You don't want to own 1900 NES Famicom yeah. games? I've already... Obviously, just the expense, the the difficulty in sort of getting stuff, you know, from a Nintendo into some kind of captured video footage. Um, you know, just using layers. For NES, it's it's pretty good 99.9% of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a few games that will have problems, but... I'm not really a stickler. I'm just curious because I do a lot of emulating and I just, for the sake of being practical, you know. I use an emulator that actually just um, outputs it to, I think, 518 by 480, like an AVI file. Hmm. And then it gets edited from there. Yeah, I've uh, personally never really liked emulation. I mean, I think it's neat that you can do it. And I've always, you know, like, especially when it first started out, I was, I was really fascinated by it. But I just don't like playing on emulators. It just doesn't feel right mm. to me. And that's probably just me being snotty. But it's not really intended that way. I'm not like, I don't look down on people who play with emulators. I just, I don't like it. And I thought, you know, maybe it would be fun to do my project authentically, as authentically as possible. I don't think I'm going to buy, say, Trip World or Amazing Tater <laughs> because those cost like $1,000 each. Oh, thanks. That's admirable. I, but, I just, um, uh, but yeah, yeah, like I've, I've, so far, everything I've captured has been from the original ROMs, and you know now using original hardware. Uh, I even managed to get a hold of, thanks to another donation, a Super Game Boy 2, which is different than a Super Game Boy. It was only released in Japan and um, makes some small hardware corrections so that it runs at the actual speed oh. of a Game Boy. The, wow, okay. the Super Game Boy is like 3% too fast. So it's pretty not much not noticeable. Like I haven't really seen a difference, but I had people constantly commenting, like, you really ought to get a Super Game Boy 2. So I did. And uh, so now it has a different border. That's basically the only impact I can tell. But the music is pitched differently, apparently. Weird. I didn't know that. Well, nowadays, I mean, it's actually tough to play games from an actual uh, NES because you have to have the right kind of <clears throat> a, a monitor or TV screen to do it. And trying to put it just like on your regular uh, big flat screen like everyone has just looks you know, horrible, obviously. It can, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to do more than just Game Boy, not necessarily a Kron gaming project for everything, but just more classic video game uh, content. So I have foolishly ordered one of those analog NTs, oh. um, which yeah. does HDMI video out uh, with RGB. Uh, so that'll that'll run through the Frame Meister, and uh, I hope to put together some really nice, you know, crisp, like real hardware, real software NES videos. Whenever I hear Frame Meister, I can't help but think that he was like a guy who got cut out of uh, Rudolph on the Island of the uh, <laughs> Toys. I'm the Frame Meister. <laughs> But I don't know what his problem is, but uh, just imagine he's framed. <laughs> he has no alibi. Okay, so what were we talking about again? Uh, sourcing, and you know, like 
ROMs and that sort of thing. Exactly. Obviously, and, and part of the, I think, the appeal of the whole chrono gaming thing was, I mean, and when we were young, of course, I mean, we we got our hands on what video games we could, um, only a tiny fraction of things that came out. And then at some point, you know, every single retro game that's ever been released suddenly became readily available to anyone who wanted to play it. Yeah. But, I mean, when you look at these games, I mean, it's just like this, just these, these huge, uh, you know, zip files of all these, these uh, ROMs and whatnot. And I guess we thought it would be interesting to sort of like sort of go through them and actually see what was in there. Especially because, I mean, one one particular title, and I mentioned this before, that always, one particular title that always uh, sort of struck out on me was um, uh, the the Jesus Bio Monster. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when, you, when you see it's that, like... Dreadful a, Bio Monster. Dreadful Bio Monster. And when you see that in a, a ROM list, you go, oh my god, what could that game be? I mean, what kind of strange things are hidden, you know, in these massive collections of yeah. 1700 ROMs? That's how I got my education. Just when emulation broke, I was just like, I must play everything. Oh my god, this had a sequel. This is actually a different game in Japan. Like, just like learning about so much stuff that was previously unavailable to me just because I'm, I'm a dumb American kid, so... Yeah, like, it really opened my eyes. Like, uh, with Black Bass, for example, the fishing game, we actually got Black Bass 2 in the U.S. In Japan, they had an earlier Black Bass 1, which was even stupider. <laughs> I mean, Black Bass 2 was actually an improvement to the original. It's still awful. Still awful, but an improvement. Yeah. We actually, I think a few a few things, uh, kind of, we got, like, the, the slightly better version in the U.S., like the later version. We never saw some of the, the really horrible stuff that came out in Japan. Like uh, Fist of the North Star. Right. Yes, there were several of those. <laughs> we got the good one? Uh, Question yes. mark? Okay. Actually, there were later ones that went like all RPG. Have you have you played any of those yet? Not not yet. I um mm. I, I had a crash course in Fist of the North Star games when I did uh, the, the Game Boy one. And uh, man, that, that series, not a lot of good, actually no good games, but they, they sure tried. Like, yeah, they, they tried to do the RPG thing later on. I but think it's still an action game. I think Dr. Sparkle is going to be playing a lot of Dragon Ball games very soon. <laughs> yeah, I've done two. Oh, okay. Including one that was actually released, released in the US. Uh, Dragon Power, is exactly, that it? Yeah. Yes, they, they sort of took out all the references to Dragon Ball. But, and, um, and panties. Very poorly, I might add. That, that sandwich looks like a pair of panties to me, no matter which way you slice it. <laughs> you know, like the Triangle Club sandwich. Lunch has changed mm-hmm. forever. Once I knew what it was, I couldn't, I couldn't look at that sandwich couldn't, again. Couldn't unsee it, as they yeah. can say. Yeah, it sort of wanted to actually sort of see what was in these these huge collections and sort of, I mean, I guess my mind kind of has a desire to sort of like organize and sort things. Um, so I thought it would be instructive just to see, you know, sort of go through a thing and see actually what was there, were there hidden gems, what kind of trash was out there, mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> and doing it, I mean, you sort of see patterns, you see how it's like a game sort of slowly got better, um, you see companies sort of emerge put out games yeah, and disappear I, forever i do see i do see you trace fads throughout your videos like this is this is the evolution of the japanese adventure game it started with right. portopia and it's going to be a lot of these worst things sometimes they're good sometimes they're not but this is where it started and this is how it's moving sports games dragon or dragon quest clones dragon quest clones yes yeah. or dragon quest inspired games mm-hmm. and every company put one out i mean hudson did one um, well of course recently i covered mother which was mm-hmm. Nintendo's very belated entry into the whole RPG thing. They they really waited that one out compared to most other companies. Yeah, yeah. I guess they wanted theirs to be special, <laughs> or they're just very a very conservative company. Yeah, they don't like to take other people's ideas. They like to do their own ideas. One of the weird things about Nintendo. Yeah, they would never make a video game based on a popular Hollywood movie. 
Have they? a giant ape. Uh, hey, that was uh, legally that was a different ape, <laughs> completely different in every way, and shape, or form. That was supposed to be a Popeye game originally. That's right. Yeah, game. yeah. And of course, they did a real Popeye game, which was not nearly as good as Donkey. Kong. No. So I guess we dodged a bullet. <laughs> My question to you is, where does the compulsion to do these cron gaming things come from? You know, I've I've never spoken to my psychiatrist about that. I don't <laughs> know. It's it's. Well, I'm not just speaking about you. Like, it's something a lot of people do, myself included. Like, I don't know if it's a sickness or if it's just like people who like video games. There's a certain it's, segment of us who are just like crap, really. <laughs> It's like people who collect comic books. I mean, they have to get every every issue. It's, it's the same. Right, the, 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 this kind of completism, but also the need to catalog things. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's not just video games. Like, music bands are the same way. Oh, I, God, people with records, yeah. I mean, they're always reorganizing their, their, their record collections. It's just, you know, it's we live in a society where we don't have to work in the fields 10 hours. And so, we, yeah. <laughs> we, we need something to occupy ourselves with. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't make video, but whenever I do an episode about um, a series with a lot of games, I take a very cron gaming perspective where I usually take them one at a time, talk a little bit about them. Some people don't like it, some people do, but I feel that's a really good approach when you're talking about a series with like a dozen games in it, you know? And, I, and I, it comes from that, that need that I have to compartmentalize and organize things and just make neat little piles and then distribute them throughout the world via audio, I guess. And also, yeah, again, sort of doing things in order allows you to sort of see how things develop over time. Mm-hmm. I have to say that the you know the existence of things like Crontendo and just the the pervasiveness of this approach is and you know even even just like lists at uh, Wikia or something like that has really changed my approach to how I do retrospective content for you know for for my day job at the US Gamer. I don't uh, you know back at, at One Up we did a lot of like here's a chronology of the series or you know, that kind of thing, but like there's no there's no value in that unless you go into extraordinary depth like with a with Crontendo or something like just doing an overview that stuff exists out there already I, I guess you can get some easy traffic if you're lucky with SEO but like what's the point of it unless you're just you know trying to get some, some ad impressions yeah there were as some of you guys might know there's like sort of that genre of YouTube video where it's like you know 20 seconds of of every video game or something like yeah that. like it's like the opening sequence of every video game, like 300 NES games, you know, and like acting some kind of video. And I sort of wanted to do something that was a lot different than that, which is actually sort of look at these things, play through them a bit, analyze them, and sort of see how they fit in with uh, the rest of what was going on in gaming at that time. It's funny, like when you make YouTube videos professionally or whatever, uh, it's like you need every you need to get their eye in eight seconds or you lost them. And now it's like YouTube is for old people. They're all about the vines now. So I think it's like you don't really need to worry about making YouTube's too long because apparently even YouTube is out played out for the kids. You know, just like I, I have not transitioned the content <laughs> over to Vine. Yet. Where's your micro content? I am on Twitter now. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, Tumblr. And Tumblr. Your, your Tumblr feed is like this tease. Like, you'll just suddenly dump a bunch of title screens. And I'm like, oh, there must be a new episode coming. Right. And then maybe yeah. like four months later. In theory, I'm sort of on Tumblr sort of trying to create kind of like a, you know, a, a, a 
constant uh, little little bits here and there of, of what's going to be coming out on the new episode, but it's hard to manage like the blog, the videos, Twitter, the Tumblr. Yeah. And of course, pretty soon I'll have to be on Pinterest. Um, <laughs> Tinder. What's Tinder again? Is that one? Uh, dating? Yeah, dating. Cron, cron, cron dating. Cron dating. You can talk about all your girlfriends in I order. Really, I really need to, to grow my brand. <laughs> oh. Absolutely. You are a media influence. In that case, you should be like, I'm the I'm the PO'd chronologist, and I'm going to show you these <laughs> NES games I hate. <laughs> the angry video game chronologist. Yeah, just, you need a gimmick like that. Based chron- chronologist. <laughs> or eat hot peppers while you narrate. Come on. We can combine them. And actually, you know, you, you mentioned one thing, which of course is that when I started doing Crontendo, kind of the, the tone was going to be different than what I saw in a lot of other video game videos. I think the um, the angry video game nerd got famous around, what, 2006? Right after so. YouTube took off. Yeah, yeah has yeah. it been that long? Yep. And for the record, I'm not slandering him. I just feel like too many people have that gimmick. Like, well, yeah. yeah. A- after he did it, suddenly there was like the, the mad video game nerd. Yeah. I'm angry too. Pissed off. <laughs> yeah. I'm angry in a slightly different way. The happy yeah. video game nerd. And but I mean, yeah, there was definitely that that sort of style where you were talking about games and you were you were showing games. You're also making a lot of, a lot of poop jokes. Yeah. And yeah. I really wanted content to be more or less. More or less, you know. Okay, but you've made some poop jokes on Crontendo. <laughs> Almost I, always scatological free, you know. No, no scatological. Either, I think they're usually limited to the poop no jokes in the games themselves, right? Well, if they're like JJ and Jeff, yeah. where the birds actually drop like dog. Perfectly, yeah. You haven't, you haven't done Toilet Kid yet, have you? Not, not yet. No. Hmm. Looking forward to that. I, 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 I challenge you to make it through Toilet Kids without making poop jokes. <laughs> but I want to be the kind of guy who is not like screaming, yelling, because I mean. When you play a bad game, it, it it's not really that awful to be playing a bad video game. And it's not going to give you a heart attack or or cause you to need to yell and scream a lot. So I sort of took a more even-handed approach to the, uh, the game. Even even really terrible ones like the nine hundred baseball and golf. Games <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think when you have that sort of like everything makes me angry approach, after a while you get through the stuff that's really bad, and then you're just kind of like straining to find excuses and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not the sort of hyperbolic kind of uh, screechy rage monster, anyway. So, well, perhaps you should look into that. Should <laughs> I? Well, for uh, for for PewDiePie, right? Oh, is, right. Isn't he upset all the time about something? I don't think it's upset. I think it's just a kind of a mania he's that upset overtakes. That he's only him. making three million a year yeah. before. I thought he was like playing like horror games and got like scared or something. Yeah, he like freaks out at horror. I, games. I will. I I cannot watch more than five seconds of. Of his stuff. But. That's okay because that's a video impression, so that's that's funny. That's, <laughs> you made all, a, that's all he needs from me, really. You made a powerful Finnish enemy today, I, <laughs> and it's not me. <laughs> my, my apologies for uh, other, uh, other people. You can edit that out. I understand it's not for me. Uh, you know, it's. I mean, most of the people I know that watch his videos are like little kids, and I forget that little kids also use the internet. So mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with entertaining children. My, I mean, yeah, my nephew. I mean, I mentioned once PewDiePie to him, and he's like, "What's wrong with PewDiePie? <laughs> Maybe someday you'll find out." But yeah, he's like, well. Yeah, and to him, I mean that—that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm the same way. I have a bunch of nephews and second cousins, and I'm around them all the time, and they love that stuff on YouTube. Like, they are more likely to watch videos of someone playing Sonic or making like bad Sonic animations mm-hmm. than actually playing Sonic. Like, I don't know that they've ever actually played Sonic. They—they they know him from Smash Brothers and they know him from videos that they've watched, but I—they don't actually own any Sonic games. Yeah, at some point, I mean. 
we will not actually have to play games ourselves. We'll simply <laughs> watch other people playing, and that's it, it's that's sort of what's happening in a lot of ways. I mean, there's games. I mean, that's, I, that's what Rise Son of Rome is all about. <laughs> yeah. Watch the gameplay itself. I mean, I would never play an Assassin's Creed game because I don't have the time. Not that I have games. I, I've seen people play them on Twitch, and it looks interesting, but. Well, the great thing about Assassin's Creed is it's just a big checklist for you to go through, so you don't have to worry about like getting lost or figuring out things to do on your own. Just follow the checklist. It's great. <laughs> Personally, I, I use uh, Let's Plays and, and videos like yours to uh, go through like survival horror games I know will be too annoying for me to play through. So I, I've, I have almost, most of my survival horror experience is through Let's Plays and YouTube, people just like playing through it. Not the kind that like scream when they're scared, just the kind of like, here's what I'm doing now, here's what's happening now, like, you know, just very measured and explanatory. Oh yeah, there's a lot of good Let's Plays out there. I think those started becoming a thing like about, what, 2005, 2006? I think, yeah, I mean, I think there's something, not, not, there's something awful forum probably had a lot to do with that. I mean, I know they existed outside of that, but I think that's where the groundswell happened. Everyone was like, oh, this is, what, this is what a Let's Play is. Let's do these. And then YouTube happened. And it's like, oh, we, we can make videos out of these now. So, yeah, I started looking into that maybe around 2006, 2005. Yeah. I started seeing stuff like that myself. And that's when I decided, okay, this, this project has to be in the form of videos and narration. Hmm. There's really no other way to cover these games because who's going to want to read about 1,700 games without ever sort of seeing what they look like? And I think that's the, the right approach to take. I actually started up something called NES ABC probably like six or seven years ago on my blog. The idea was to go through the entire NES catalog in alphabetical order and write like funny blurbs about it and, and draw an illustration about each game. Um, and after about five or six games, I realized this isn't really doing it. Like I'm, I'm kind of relying on people knowing what these games are and I let it taper off and, and, you know, I thought it would be a fun project, but I wanted to do it a more effective way and you know watching Crontendo made me say oh that's a much smarter way to go about it which is you know how what eventually sort of mutated into Game Boy World and, and as far as I can tell in Japan like I think about like one percent of the population has done that at some point when you start looking for things like Japanese games you'll see like all these sites that are like devoted like sort of listing and talking about every single Famicom game and there's a few people who have done it in the US as well I know there's a at least one guy whose name escapes me who has actually written up every single U.S. NES release. Uh, that's Dylan, Dylan Cornelius. Oh, right, from, right. Uh, Nest, Nest, uh, Questicle. Questicle. Okay. Quest review every NES game. And now he's working on Sega doing the entire Sega home console wow. catalog, starting with the SG-1000. Well, actually, yeah, there is him, but I think I was thinking of someone else. Um, this oh, is a yeah? guy who wrote like these really sort of academic-type hmm. write-ups of these games, hmm. which, I mean, personally was not my style. Like, I don't really want to sort of to put like you know uh, Freudian ideas, looking for Freudian stuff, or you know, yeah, that, that kind of thing in in these games. It's but, especially difficult when you're doing that from an American perspective, talking about Japanese developed games. And I believe this guy actually was an academic himself. He wasn't just like just was it Ian Bogust? Was that was it Ian Bogust? It was not. No, but um, yeah, the guy's name escapes me though. So the people who have actually gone all the way through their entire projects, um, but of course, doing it in video form like you and I are doing is. It's going to take us a bit longer. What's your what's your time frame for uh, Game Boy World? Oh, never. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to finish the entire Game Boy catalog, and that's fine. I, I don't really want to. It's it's more something I'm doing for my own entertainment, and you know, I, I do want it to be kind of a resource. Uh, I, I would like to get the website to a point where there is information on every single game, 
but I, I don't honestly expect within my lifetime to play every single Game Boy game one by one. And, and honestly, now that I've made it through the first year, the first 25 games that were released in Japan in 1989, you know, I, I can afford to ease off a little bit. Like, I'm going to be going through a lot of pachinko games, <laughs> a lot of Gundam games, uh, a lot of learning English games. It's okay that I don't write and record extensive videos about those. I think I'm going to be doing a lot of, like, you know, like, here's a game, here's a game, here's a game. Now here's a video about like five games that are all the same. Or like, hey, let's look at every single goddamn pachinko game that comes out in the years <laughs> 1990 through 1996 and just get that all out of the way at once. That's fine. Um, it, it's it's really like, I, I know my mortal limits and, and that's okay. So it's it's really more about the exploration and discovery for me. And it's it's been enjoyable. Like I've discovered a lot of games that I had never played or even heard of before already in just this initial period. Like, I didn't realize that Atlas's Quirk was a really, really fun puzzle game, but it is. Um, and it's interesting, too, because I've discovered, you know, like you you were talking about um, people discovering games, and, and you, Bob, like discovering games through other people's media work. Like when I, <clears throat> excuse me, when I tackled Bugs Bunny's, the Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle, mm. Yes. Um, what I discovered was that most people know that game because of the angry video game nerd. Oh yeah. Episode. So the game has this really nasty reputation. Like people think it's really terrible, but it's not. It's it's a pretty okay. You yeah, know, it's pretty simple. Arcade but, yeah. puzzle platformer kind of game. Not bad. Not offensive in any way. It's it's enjoyable, especially for the time. Um, so it's a chance for me to get a fresh perspective on things and come into things, uh, come into the games without preconceptions aside from games that I already like, like I went into the final fantasy legend knowing that I was going to say very positive things about it because I really like that series. I like saga. I like Akitoshi Kawazu and I don't care what you say. I'm because going you're, to enjoy because you're a masochist. I am. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be working on game boy world if I were not a masochist. So it's natural for me to like the final fantasy legend. So yeah, I mean, so just to speak to my timeline, I'm a, I'll, do as much as I can for as long as I can. And, you know, I've been really fortunate. I, I started a Patreon Patreon just for this project, basically. And I've been able to pay for this, the materials and the equipment and everything that I'm using for it. Not really, I'm not actually making any money, pocketing any money. Like, it all goes into taxes or creating little, you know, gifts for people or the games themselves. But it does sustain itself. Like, I don't have to tell my wife, yeah, I just spent, you know, four or $500 on Game Boy games this <laughs> month because, you know, people or, are into the project and they, they enjoy it. So, you know, as long as there's interest and as long as, you know, I'm interested, then uh, I'll keep doing it. So no, no baked beans for dinner again? No baked beans. Okay. <laughs> I'll never eat turnips again. I often wonder if I actually... First of all, turnips are actually pretty good if you know what to do with them. They, they are, actually. I, there's a... Um, up in the North Bay, up in Napa, like the area is known for turnips, and they do some great stuff with turnips there. I find that, uh, God, this is so off topic. Brussels sprouts are coming Sorry, back. Beets, I guess. Brussels sprouts are coming back, mm-hmm. and they're always sold to me as this horrific thing. It's like were people just preparing them wrong. I don't yes. know. Now they shave them. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Turnips, parsnips, all that stuff. You can like make a pretty good stew with them. There's a lot of good things you can do with them. But it's hard to go off topic there. But I often wonder if I myself will ever actually finish Crontendo. Um, I'm sure people are probably, you know placing bets on in their heads as to whether I'll die first or not. <laughs> but um, I guess I feel kind of committed to try to actually finish it. I think you've got enough momentum. I mean, um, 
if you pursue this for the next 20 years, but uh, I don't know. Like, I'm hopeful as, as a viewer. It could happen. Yeah. It could happen. You never know. Do you have, like, do you have, like, a protege? Are you, like, are you grooming someone to be the next Dr. Sparkle? <laughs> what happens is when they kill me, okay. they then take up the burden of content. I thought they'd have to eat your brain or something and, like, gain your knowledge. No, no. Okay. It's less disgusting than that. It's just the curse just passes on. <laughs> okay. I'm actually the fourth Dr. Sparkle. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, very very early on, um, some some podcast was talking about me many years ago, and they, they said it, it sounded like just the tone of my voice. It sounded like I had lost a vet, <laughs> um, which is of course not what actually happened. But sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> some people are just naturally mon- monotone in, in nature. Not that I would know anything about that. That's true. Yeah, you you sort of have managed to capture the Doctor Sparkle sort of <clears throat> personality in your own videos. I, it wasn't an attempt to capture anyone's personality. It's just oh yeah, you just naturally sound like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I was like, rival oh, video people. No, no, it's great. I'm like, oh, there's someone else with a kind of uh, monotone, drowsy voice doing videos. I can do this too. I kind of wonder if like if like you know how many people if you like you know blindfolded them and you know played their voices back if they'd be able to distinguish <laughs> some parts sometimes when it comes to our sort of groaning video game voices. They just have to wait till one of us says Tose. There you go. You guys could be the sleepy gamer, one of you. <laughs> that hasn't been done yet. <laughs> the sleepy video game. We'll have the Kirby's adventure. And I'll, I'll be the drowsy video game nerd. <laughs> Not a ripoff, I swear. It's my <laughs> own original idea. Um and of course I've sort of teased people with the uh, concept of like the super contento. Which, I mean, it's... Has anyone done that? I know Greg Seward does, uh, what's it called? Uh, Generation 16. There's yeah. someone who actually just started doing Super NES yes, games. Yes, there is, there's a new guy who's doing Super... And again, it's, he's been doing it for, like, what, like a month or two, so... At this point, yes, but it, by the time this episode comes out, who knows? Right, right. I mean, it, it may be up to the Super FX chip by then. M- many have tried and many have failed to sort of get their own chrono-gaming project off the ground and going. I, I think people, it's something it's easy to get excited about at first, but after all, you suddenly realize, why am I doing this? <laughs> I mean, that, that's a conversation I've had with myself many times, personally, <laughs> and I'm sure you will at some point as well. But, well, I, I've already kind of reached the point where Game Boy games, I like the system, I love portable games, but I have to admit that the limitations imposed on Game Boy make it kind of difficult sometimes to really soldier through. So I'm going to augment this with some N64 games because that's another area that's been sort of underserved. There you go. Yeah, that was actually my exact reasoning why I never did a cron Game Boy. Because people always ask me, are you going to do the Game Boy? Are you going to do the Game Boy? I said no because, I mean, I mean, visually they're not that interesting to look at. I mean, yeah, like there's a lot of fun games to play, but just somehow looking at like a half hour of like sort of that ugly puke green <laughs> You know, game footage from the Game Boy. Yeah, I don't. That's, that's why you use a Super Game Boy with color yeah, There pads. you go. Yeah. Super Game Boy, yeah. But um, yeah. So I'm, and then of course you came along. So now I no longer even have to worry about doing a <laughs> Game Boy since you've already. I've, I've seen you. I've seen you say like, "Stop bothering me. Just go look at his videos." There you go. Thanks. Yes. I appreciate that. So you've 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 acquired that a Sisyphusian task. Yes. Sisyphusian. Exactly. Sure. sure. That sissy task. <laughs> Sisyphusian.
Yeah, so we were, we were kind of touching briefly on some other people who have done these projects because we're certainly not the only ones in the world. Um, projects exist like this, both in text and video form. Um, my former Ziff Davis colleague, Greg Seward, um, who's on the Player One podcast these days, is doing Generation 16. Bob, you mentioned that. Yeah, I enjoyed those a lot. Uh, it's a he's, game. he's the counterbalance to Nintendo fanaticism yeah. retronauts. I mean, I, I get a little more... I mean, I love Dr. Sparkle's videos, but there's always something new for me there because I was never a Sega fan as a kid. So um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm discovering a lot new there just with games that are like known quantities like Altered Beast and stuff like that. Just like, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, the Genesis music can be... is not a good thing to fall asleep to, though. So I don't put on those videos when it's bedtime because, uh, I don't know, that, that robot music I, gets into he, my ears. Is he recording that from emulated... Games, I don't you know? know what he uses um, because Genesis music is is really strange. Apparently, there was like a really huge spread of quality in some of the capacitors they used for their sound hardware or something hmm. like that. So, like, there's some models that have really great, rich sound, and then there are other models in the system that have just absolutely like ear shredding sound. Yeah, and it's it's not a reflection on the game; it's a reflection on the sound hardware that they build, it's, it's really, like, up and down. Well, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of games just have bad, shrill music. Like, even with Super Nintendo, without the sound chip, some games just sound farty. Like, we made all these farty sounds with the sound chip because we were bad. Oh, yeah. But, sort uh, of like uh, Immersive Lake and Palmer. Hmm? Oh, we're back hey, to Prog Rock. rock. <laughs> um, I don't know what you're talking about in terms of Immersive Lake and Palmer sounding like farts. But uh, Hey, man, we call them ELP in this room. <laughs> that that right? seems more like yeah. a Einstein's and Neubaden. But yeah, yeah, the Genesis was notoriously tinny sounding. But yeah, there's like a million different models of it, um, and apparently some sound better than others. I think I think there are three different major sound hardware revisions of the Genesis, and you can find guides online that that kind of break it down. Anyway, that's that's again sort of a, a distraction from the uh, the main topic at hand. But um, yeah, I, I haven't really spent a lot of time watching anything except Crontendo. Uh, sorry about that, Greg. I definitely intend to watch your videos at some point. Um, I haven't wanted to be, I guess, too heavily influenced by other ideas. It's kind of like a this obnoxious pride I have about creating <laughs> stuff. Anytime I create something, I don't want to look at other people's work because I'll either uh, get really jealous and depressed that they did something better than I can do, or else I'm, I fear that I'll like subconsciously absorb their ideas and, and start integrating that and then you know, uh, be a big ripoff. Like, I mean, Game Boy World is a total ripoff of Crown Tundra. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw that Greg uses, like, the Hobo font in his videos, and I started using that in Quan Turbo, I believe. Oh, so we have litigation happening here. <laughs> you actually came uh, here to serve Jeremy Papers. What, what is the Hobo font? It's just, like, a ridiculous-looking font. It looks, I don't know why it's called the Hobo font, but hmm. I think, as I recall, I think Greg uses it, and I use it as well. Oh, see, for for Game Boy World, I use um, Futura, which is the closest thing you can get to the Game Boy uh, logo because I'm a jackass graphic designer. Is that, is that like a proprietary jackass. font, or is that actually? Futura, yeah, it's an ITC. I mean, um, the one that Nintendo used. Does that have a name, or is it just like Nintendo's internal I, font? I, it's probably just a slightly modified Futura. Okay, it's not exactly Futura, but it's really close. It could. I don't. I don't have a copy of ITC Eros, but it could be Eros. I don't. I don't think it is, though. I think it's. I think it's just modified Futura, which is a very like well-established Gothic font from the early 20th century. That's close enough. This is what happens when you get like three white guys in a room. What Start talking about <laughs> fonts and that's micro-brews. what. What really matters is fonts. Am I right, everyone? <laughs> Sorry, 
I, I learned about bonds long before I came to San Francisco, though, in my defense. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, so Cron, or sorry. Um, Generation 16. Generation 16, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his is definitely one of the more professionally well-done projects. It's well-edited. Um, probably a, I mean, a bit more, maybe a little bit more uh, sophisticated looking than Quantendo, which is always, I mean, I haven't really changed up much in Quantendo since I started in terms of things like the intros and the time. Right. You still use Super NES artwork for your NES mm-hmm. catalog well, yeah. exploration. Yeah. People eventually, have, people eventually you'll catch up to the Super NES. You're not that far. I guess the concept was that it's about Nintendo, not the NES specifically, but... Um, and you're still using some live progressive rock in your intro and outro? I'm still, I still have some can in the outro, mm-hmm. yeah. At some point, I am going to come up with a new intro to Crontendo, um, because I sort of have, I guess, slightly upgraded intros to Cron Turbo and Cron Sega. And I'm trying to remember, I, I think um, me and Greg started doing the Genesis stuff about he, he did his first because I was doing Quonsega with the master system, mm-hmm. planning to sort of transition into the Genesis. It, and it's a very awkward thing. I mean, that was like for what five, six years where Sega was doing the Genesis, the master system, the game the, gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the game gear, the, the, the Saturn actually came in. I because the, the last master system game came out shortly before the Dreamcast. You can no. that. that was just in like Brazil, though. That's right? what I was gonna say. It, it was like, yeah, Brazil or Europe or, or something like that, but um. They were supporting way too many systems at one time. So the Cron Sega is like this this horrible hybrid of mixing up Master System and Genesis games, and even worse than the uh, the NES. No one knows when so many of these uh, these Master System games came out in the U.S. Hmm. But we do know one came out prior to the Dreamcast, just prior to the Dreamcast. Prior, yes. Uh, I, I do want to bring one up. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, the guy's name is. And his name is Rue, I think, but uh, his real name is Joey. He's part of the RetroWare TV guys, and I think he does this independently. Um, it's called 16-Bit Gems, hmm. or it's not chronological, so I don't know if, it, if it's outside of the purview of this episode. But uh, he did like – he does a lot of uh, RPGs, like episodes about singular games that he really likes. And one episode he did was like the history of console RPGs, and I think I even wrote a one-up blog about it because it was so great. Just like let's trace console RPGs from the very beginning to today, and it was a really great episode. But – Again, it's not chronological, but it's very similar to what you do, like focusing in on one game at a time. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in order in his case, but it is a, an explanation in video form. But he has more of a presence in the videos. He like jumps out and talks to you and stuff like that. Which, yeah, obviously in, in Quantendo I don't do. Though I do do it in the other video series that I'm working on, which probably is sort of outside the uh, matter of this. But uh, which, which one is that? That's the, uh, the, the movie video. Mm. Uh, the horror movies. The, uh, uh, the, the video, video nasties one, okay, yeah, I'm I'm way into that. And I guess people were uh, multiple people said I was I look younger than I thought I was. <laughs> I don't know how old I sound. I don't exactly look young though, but uh, people claimed I, I look younger. Um, there's a few print versions of RPG Chrono type things. Mm-hmm. There's RPG Consoler. Yeah, and that one is the guy is going through all console game, like all RPGs for consoles, but kind of reviewing them with a rubric that you would expect for PC RPGs. It's like kind of held up, you know, classic PC RPGs as the definition of what an RPG should be and saying, are these console RPGs good enough? Mm-hmm. So there, there's kind of a... Uh, I, I don't know that, that I agree necessarily with the, the central premise of the thing, but it is an interesting read. 
Oh yeah, it's it's pretty good, and um, I guess he was inspired by. I think, well, I think he's mentioned me as well, but I think also mostly the C RPG guy who mm-hmm. is doing as many computer RPGs as he can, which is an insane I, task if you think about it. I don't know his his name. Sorry, it's uh, just uh, C RPG addict. Okay, he actually doesn't doesn't give out his name. Oh, are these are these uh, just text based things? Are, those are yeah, okay. text like blogs. I know. I mean, he just started doing it, but uh, Gary Butterfield's uh, cohort, Cole Ross, is doing a, a blog called Hexcrank, which is a um, chronological, chronological, chronological exploration of survival horror. And I think he doesn't update that frequently, but it's still uh, there's still more than a few offerings there right now. There was someone else who was going to do a Game Boy thing before you did yours, but apparently it never got off the ground. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, he, I don't think he ever came up with a single episode. Um, he, <laughs> he, he, talk, he was talking about it. He was, he was mentioning it to me, but apparently nothing came up with it. I guess once people realize how much work goes into it, they can easily sort of back away a bit. Mm. I mean, part of, part of what inspired me also was just the, the overwhelming sensation that in order to remain relevant in my profession, I need to crack video and be able to do video. Uh, publishing is just leaving the print model and now it's leaving the text model on the web so uh, I, I just feel like it's something that I needed to tackle head on and it seemed like a fun way to do it and I, I've definitely learned a lot uh, doing Game Boy World like if you look at the first couple of episodes I did I was just kind of improvising off the cuff the sound was terrible, the video quality was terrible the editing was choppy and rough and I've, I've gotten a lot better I'm still like learning how to use Premiere. Like every every day I, or every episode, I figure out something new I can do. But um, I feel like the episodes I'm doing now are a lot more sophisticated. And you know, that's in like seven or eight months worth of work. So that's it's it's you know a good opportunity to learn and grow. Yeah, same thing with me. I mean, I when I came up with the idea of Crontendo, one stumbling block was, I mean, how do you get the pictures on the computer <laughs> and put them up where people can see them? There must be some kind of program to do that. Um, I was actually at first using something terrible, I think like Nero Movie Maker or something like that, which was very, very basic video editing. Um, some people I know have, someone, as I recall, does it using Microsoft Movie Maker or whatever the new version of that is. One of those movie maker. Um, and a lot of people have sort of started this and sort of fallen by the way. So I actually can't remember how many of them there were. There was a guy who was doing um, Genesis games like in text form. There uh, was another guy who was... Um, I've already forgotten so many of them, I'm afraid. <laughs> so many wasted lives. Exactly, yes. <laughs> Left by the wayside. Yes. Thanks, Cron Gaming. It is an honorable pursuit. Is it? I think so. Really? I'm jealous. Like, uh, I mean, I feel like it takes a certain degree of fortitude that I don't have in terms of like just getting burned out my my own personal projects. Like, I, I sincerely thought about doing a Super Nintendo one because I didn't see anyone doing it, and that's I have I think I have the most nostalgia for that system. But uh, I looked at it and I was like, this I cannot do this. It's just like when people ask me about making a podcast, and a podcast is not nearly the amount of work. 
um, that making a video series is. But when people people ask me about it, I'm like, you have to know this is a huge commitment, and you have to keep putting out content. And here's everything you need to buy. It and it's like it's not. I'm not trying to be a buzzkill, but there is some there are some technical and you know practical things you have to think about before the fun of making your own show. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is time consuming, but. I feel like anything worth doing is. I don't know that this is necessarily something that I'll look back on with pride and tell my children. Like, yes, children, your father wrote and talked about every single Game Boy game. But, <laughs> you know, I, I would like for the work that I'm doing, um, at least the website that I'm building around it, to be a, a resource for people so they can look and, and see, you know, basic information about every game and, and hopefully something more substantial for a lot of them. Um, and, you know, some of that information already exists, but for, for Game Boy, at least, because it's a less popular system and, and something that people have not really tackled in this degree of, of, of detail before, um, I hope that it's something that, you know, it's, at least adds a little something to the breadth of video game history available out there. I can see that. I see the value in uh, owning your own work because I'm, it's, I know it's going to happen again, but... Twice in my life, like months and months, and in some cases, years and years of work have just been destroyed from the internet because the owners of that content did not want to keep them up. And I have, I have several things at Joystick, and Joystick just went down, and I don't know if that content's going to be around. So I'm like, God, do I have to, do I have to back up all this stuff too? So it has to be nice to be like, this is content that's mine. I feel the same way about our podcast too. Like, this is something I own, no one can take it from me, and we can put it up where we want, and, you know, this is ours. So I, I, I know the pride in that. Yeah, and, and part of the, the Game Boy World project is going beyond video and creating the website to go with it with a, a complimentary but not verbatim uh, article that's, uh, you know, talks about it, a photo gallery of, of what the game looked like. Yeah, so so I'm creating the website and, you know, trying to source as many of the original games with their contents as possible to get photographs and have this, you know, photo gallery available. And that stuff is easy to compile into a book, you know, not like a book published through a respectable publisher, but you know, <laughs> self-published and available for people. So that resource will be available. I think, you know, if I can figure it out, maybe I'll compile some of the videos onto a DVD or something. So that will also exist in a physical form and be available for people to look at. I, you know, there, there's probably like 20 or 30 people in the world that actually care, but for those 20 or 30 people, that resource will be available. Uh, it, it's definitely catering to a niche audience, but that's okay because that's what the internet is really for is, is, you know, the, the, the sort of future of highly specific channels of content and information. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy to have my little nook that I can burrow into. You think we've kind of reached like oversaturation when it comes to things like video game videos at this point? I mean, there's so many, so many people are doing them. I mean, at some point is, the world going to burn out <laughs> when it comes to watching videos about video games on YouTube? Uh, I, I guess, but at the same time, like I have discovered in, in researching for you know articles and videos for Game Boy World, there's not a lot of information about a lot of these games out there. Like sometimes I'll find that you know uh, Cygnus Destroyer or someone on on YouTube has done a video about a game, but it's not comprehensive. Uh, I mean, maybe the video itself is, but like the the coverage of the different games, like the number of games being covered, like there is no all-encompassing resource for for these games. Um, and I think you know, as long as there is still information out there to be gleaned, that's great. I mean, 
even even something like the NES, I'm, I'm, I think people are constantly learning new information about who made the games. And again, this is all very niche, but I think for the history, or you know, for the for the medium to really mature, it needs its history chronologized, uh, as if that's a word, <laughs> uh, as much as possible. Uh, you have a point. Like uh, before, we had our Neo Geo Pocket Color um, Wonder Swan podcast. Uh, like. I was like, okay, I need to see some Wonderful games in action. I've never seen them. And the only resource I found was your video you made for U.S. Gamer, <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, I, I like, the guy who put that video together, I don't know where he found the, the material. Like, God, maybe Nico. I, Nico I admire or the fact that he managed to source all that stuff. But yeah, like there, there's all kinds of video game systems that just aren't covered in depth. And you know, maybe, again, only a handful of people are ever going to care. But I personally want that information to be out there. I want that... Uh, that archive of knowledge to be preserved. Yeah. The woman, I forget her name. I think her name is Rachel. She was on our show. Um, she does the stuff with the uh, loopy mm-hmm. system and she's like the only person writing about that for the most part, or at least making people aware of it again. What was the loopy system again? It was a system designed for girls in Japan oh, and it was like by, a by Casio, right? I think so. Yeah. And uh, all the games are very like, um, very feminine. Like, you know, I, I uh, we have an entire episode on, so please check that out. Uh, it's called girl games. I think we called it, but, um, it was very much a female-focused system. I'm thinking, you know, I, have, I think a good idea for Bob, he should start working on, like, a Cron iPhone game <laughs> series. Oh, that, my God. That's one niche that has not yet been touched, and there's probably a lot of gems out there. I think if I was going in chronological order, I would probably kill myself by the time I hit all the Flappy Bird clones. Just, like, 17 episodes of Flappy Bird clones. Uh, there are how many tens of thousands of games are on iPhone at this uh, point? I don't know. How many of them are actually different games, though? Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. This is my uh, uh, endless runner game. <laughs> it's way different than all those other ones. Yeah, probably. When you think about, it, I mean, stuff like the iPhone. A lot of that stuff is probably just going to disappear from from human, yeah. and human memory completely. I'm sure a lot of it already has. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what's going to happen when something is unplayable on an older iPhone? Does, will anyone care? Will there be emulators? I I don't know. Well, as, as Frank Spaldi mentioned, one of the games that that. Uh, his company did is was an Xbox 360 like uh, like arcade game that is no longer available. Hmm. It's only a few years old. Yeah, I mean already there have been a bunch of uh, digital only games on Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 that have been delisted for various reasons. Like you know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game remake, you can't buy that anymore. And because it was never released in the physical form, like how do you get that? How do you play that? Yeah, there's this weird trade off between convenience. And preservation, the fact that stuff like uh, the new uh, PlayStation streaming thing, for example, uh, how will those when, when games sort of, if they ever switch like all streaming, um, will those things sort of disappear forever? Kind of like the uh, like the Stella View or something like that. I, I'm just I'm really worried that in terms of the streaming service that they won't offer the games I want to play. Because if you look at the games that sell on PSN, the classic games, it's like Crash Bandicoot 1, Crash Bandicoot 2, Crash Bandicoot 3, wait, Crash wait, Bandicoot what, Racing. What do you have against Crash Bandicoot? I, want, I, I, I can get those games easily. <laughs> I can't get, like, I don't know, like, Vagrant Story as easily, or to, to name something. Just something rarer, you know, something that is not as obvious as a Crash Speaking Bandicoot. Two. Speaking of 2, there you go. That's a better one. Is that one available on any kind of, like... Um, PlayStation Store. Oh, uh, so we get into? Yeah. Yeah, it just came out in oh. December after like years and years of waiting. And it's like they charged like three bucks more, but whatever. It was like a, a, so expensive to buy it, you know, in physical form. Yeah, that's just one of those games that people just love, love to bits. It was mm-hmm. kind of like uh, 
I guess some years ago they finally finally released the uh, Rondo of Blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after years and years and years of people wanting that thing. Yeah, they didn't just release it once, but twice. They put it on the uh, the PlayStation Portable remake uh, as a as a ROM, and then also on Virtual Console. And we're still waiting for Mother Three, right? That's correct. Yes, I'm skeptical. I, I, you know, Nintendo is so desperate now; it just might happen. I mean, they released Earthbound, and I think a less desperate Nintendo would not have done that. So we've been kind of all over the place with this episode. Uh, I like it <laughs> talking kind of about the topic, but also kind of not about the topic. Um, are there any final thoughts before we uh, call today? I guess just everyone out there. I mean, just you know, think about doing your own mono gaming project. It's fun. It's easy. <laughs> Lying. But yeah, but I definitely would like to see more people out there sort of doing similar stuff. I, I I don't make videos. I should make more videos, but uh, I'm 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 I like what Jeremy and Doctor Doctor Sparkle do, and um, I will continue to watch the videos as I fall asleep every night. Not really. I also watch your videos during the day during during daytime hours, um, and I and I can't wait for the next front end. I won't I won't bother you about it because I know. You probably get a lot of people bothering you about it. We're, we're working on on Kron Sega right now. People actually <gasps> okay. get, get angry almost. You know, I have some some kind of spicy comments occasionally. Oh, people, you you know, do. it happens. People are impatient. I think I would read that as they like me so much that they're mad. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, as for myself, uh, I don't regret what I have done. No regrets. I regret nothing. Uh, uh, you know, like I said, I'll be uh, dabbling in some N sixty four games soon. Because why not? It's, Although, it's, a, it's a poorly served uh, corner of video game history as well. I'd like to announce that I'm going to be working on Cron Virtual Boy, which is an achievable uh, feat, I think. Wait, does that eight games or something? No, it's like 40. 40 games? Yeah. Oh, never mind that. <laughs> were there really that many? Yeah, believe it or not, there were quite a few games. Wow. Hmm. Okay, uh, that's too much for me. Still. A bunch of them didn't make it to the U.S., though. And some of them are very, very expensive. I bet. Yeah, I'm not doing that. All right. Sorry to let you down, everyone. <laughs> well, anyway, let's uh, let's call it a day. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Doctor Sparkle, for making the trip down here. Um, I guess we do the sign-off thing now, where we talk about who we are. We are Retronauts. You can find us at retronauts.com at usgamer.net. We're on Twitter. We're on Twitch. We're on YouTube. We're on Tumblr, et cetera, et cetera. As Retronauts, um, I personally am Jeremy Parrish. You can find me at usgamer. Or on Twitter as GameSpite. Uh, this is Dr. Sparkle, um, a.k.a. Quantendo. Uh, there's the Twitter, the Tumblr, the blog, the YouTube. Probably the only thing that'll come up when you search for Quantendo is me. So that's how you find me. And you can find me, Bob Mackey, on Twitter as Bob Servo. I'm also writing for US Gamer. I'm their senior editor. Uh, check out my work there. And uh, I'm also writing for something awful. I write every few weeks there. So check out my articles there. There's a lot of them. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we'll be back next week with a micro and the week after with a full episode. So please enjoy. And also, don't forget, you can give us money at Patreon so we can keep making money. All right. Yes, so we can keep making money. So we can keep making episodes. Also money. I don't know. Whatever. It's great. Have fun. Thanks for supporting us and listening. Bye.